Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. They caught a shark, not the shark. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. We're tonight's entertainment. This is some serious gourmet. Showtime! I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I you. you gotta do something or just stand there and bleed. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Here's Johnny! guys, welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Popcorn. John here. And today, I have a very special guest. Um, very honored he took the time out of his uh, vacation to come on the show. And uh, he's going to have to remind me one more time. How do you say your first name? <laughs> it's it's Hassanin. <laughs> I have a Hassanin Atabi. He is an author and a storyteller and uh, this man loves movies just like I do. He loves music just like I do. And so it's fitting that we talk about a movie about music called Whiplash. Um, and this was your suggestion. Um, you know, you want to come on the show. I was eager and excited to have you. And you were like, let's talk Whiplash. And uh, I got to ask, man. Of all the films in the world of cinema, why Whiplash? So honestly, for me personally, I have a, a very close personal connection to Whiplash. I, 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 I play drums, and I, when I was 12 years old, I learned how to play drums. Uh, I ended up getting kicked out of the drum line because I sucked. And so then the next two years was me <laughs> really trying to get back in the band as a drummer, but everyone already knew that I sucked. So I... Everything was me practicing and me really trying to be as good as I can. So I uh, did everything. My whole world revolved around drums for a little while. So I would be, you know, hitting pots and pans and, you know, annoying. Just just making noise. Just making noise, annoying the crap out of my mom, like listening to YouTube videos. Um, And then when I, I got my first job at 15 and my first paycheck, I'd like put all my little paychecks together. Um, just to buy my first drum set. <laughs> so let's let's back this up though. So you were in, where were you inspired to play drums? What inspired you to to have that passion? For me personally, every single all of the music that I used to you know that I listen to nowadays, I listen to a wide spectrum of music, but a lot of it comes from a, you know punk rock, rock and roll, and like a metal background, and drums are a very big part of that. And so every time I would watch videos of live shows or anything like that, the, the person that always stuck out the most to me was the drummer. So it was always like, it, you know, Chris Adler and Lamb of God. It was always Lars Ulrich and Metallica. And I just thought that stuff was just so cool. Yeah, the drummer has a big responsibility. They have to hold the whole song together, mm-hmm. um, especially like when you get into the world of fast uh, BPMs, fast technical metal um, yeah, I know people. Uh, people tend to, you know, crap on metal, but you have to be very, very talented to play that music, um, and you have to be very talented to play jazz, which is the focal point in Whiplash. But mm-hmm. let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. I wanted to ask you. So you told me that you were kicked off the drum line because you sucked mm-hmm. at drumming. Mm-hmm. Like when you say you sucked, like could you not just keep time? Were you did you speed up? Were you, were you rushing or dragging? <laughs> like, like, uh, what, 
what lane of suckage were you in? So the the original reason why I was even considered to be kicked out was because the drum line was too big, and they realized this halfway throughout my school year. So they're like, okay, we're going to sit all the kids down. You're going to read the same sheet of music. You're going to play it. And then one person decides who to who to trim off of the drum line. And I've always had a, a huge problem reading music. Um, so I was, you know, reading the sheet of music and playing along to it on one snare drum. And then uh, a couple hours later, I was <laughs> kicked off the drum line. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't like a vendetta against you personally. It was just... No, no. It, it was like, you know, what I've noticed a lot in... Because uh, um, I, I played in the band in high school myself, so I have some... Uh, I could relate. I have some experience in your lane where you have to audition. It's like tryouts. You have to make earn your spot, earn your spot on the drum line, or or earn your chair in whatever instrument section you happen to be in. Okay, so you were kicked off the drum line, but you were you know you saved up your nickels and pennies, bought your drum set. What was what was like the first you know couple songs you would learn? What rock songs or whatever that you got really good at on the drums, or at least learned on the drums so um <clears throat> the the classic with everyone whether it's guitar or drums smoke, it's, smoke on the water no the no water. smells like no? teen spirit oh <laughs> well, okay so it really shows our age gap yeah because, absolutely because like, i learned uh i play guitar and mm-hmm. the first guitar song or lick riff i ever learned was smoke on the water right. and like most people who learn that riff first we learn the wrong way to play it um so it's a whole different tangent but okay, so smells like Teen Spirit for you. That's the classic, man. I feel, I feel so old. <laughs> I I remember when Smells Like Teen Spirit was on the TV as a new song, a new really? video. That yeah, uh, yeah, it was everywhere, and it was so satisfying to see it change. Like I didn't that you know that song came out in ninety one, maybe ninety two. So I was five or six. I was really really young still, but uh, you know my parents. Uh, um, just cultivated this taste of rock, classic rock music in me, and so all the classic rock stuff like, you know, Deep Purple or Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd was there, but then on the radio was just a smattering of every hair band, glam, glam rock, all that kind of stuff, and and so when Nirvana came on the scene, that really blew the doors open, and it was a whole new thing. It was a whole new vibe, whole new energy. Um, whole new you know spirit no pun intended and uh okay so that is where you started that was the inception of your you know independent drumming career so to speak right (laughs) yeah and um and so basically what what went on from there is i i joined the band again um but i knew they wouldn't let me join in to be a drummer so i said oh like i want to learn how to play the flute it was all it was bullshit. Like I did not want to learn how to play the flute. I just wanted to be in the band. Um, okay. So they didn't have a flute, so they gave me a piccolo. So for three months, I was pretending to learn how to play a piccolo, until I threw it somewhere, uh, behind where all they they put all the cases, and I was like, oh, I don't have my piccolo. So for the next three months, I was just sitting with the drummers, just watching them. And then over time, I badgered myself in to mm-hmm. the 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 drum section in the band. Some say that piccolo is still missing, right? <laughs> it never recovered. And then, yeah. <laughs> it never it's found st- it. Still lost to this day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, it's funny because, like, you, you talk about 
the competition to get on the drum line, or in your case, uh, getting back onto the drum line rather. And you know, the in the, in some contexts that exists very uh, very often, especially in like the marching band world. Um, whereas some high schools, for example, they will take anybody because they have such small numbers. They need they need the bodies on the field to to play. Um, but Whiplash is, while it's based on the um, director Damien Chazelle's experiences as a high school jazz musician, it's based in probably the only film in pop culture that deals with jazz music and higher education. Um, it's, it's a conservatory. It's the Schaefer Conservatory. It's a, a college for you know musicians, and it's very competitive. And I'm going to circle back to this point quite a bit about this film because as good of a film as this is, there is some flaws with it. Mm-hmm. And some of the flaws like, are nitpicky for a musician. But to the casual movie-going audience member, it's – and even to me, like I think Whiplash as a film is well-acted, well-directed, uh, evenly paced. It was worthy of all the awards it received – um, and I still love it to this day. I think it's a great film. Um, but I don't think it's a film about music. Hmm. So I agree. Uh, I want to um, hear your take on it. So my take on that is how do I say? How do I say this? Let's look at the uh, at the scope of the story. The scope of the story is about this Andrew Neiman kid. He's a young freshman. He is dying to just be a professional drummer. He, he has a hunger. He has a passion. Um, he go, he idolizes his role models. Like he's got Buddy Rich. He's always watching YouTube videos of and and what it really reminds me of is more of a of a sports movie than a movie about music. And and there's nothing wrong with sports movies. I love sports movies, but. This this Whiplash is a film that's not really about the music at all. It's not even about jazz. It's about Andrew Neiman's um, determination and hunger and competitive spirit um, when he gets pushed against the wall, so to speak, by his mentor, his coach, if you will, but it's really his professor, um, played by J.K. Simmons, who was ruthlessly, incredibly deviously mean um, uh, and I just loved it it was such a, a great performance by J.K. Simmons so mm-hmm. well deserving of his uh, Academy Award but he's like a coach and he's coaching and he's pushing and it's <laughs> it's abusive like absolutely uh, what I mean so you have a similar take you said what is your what is your take my so my take on it I think I think whiplash is a is a testament to our societal hunger for people to be proficient and great at one thing. And why is that important to be great at one thing? What do you mean by that? Great at one thing. We, we, I think we, we sometimes lose sight. We always see people who are great at what they do as people who just do this one thing. We think of Hans Zimmern, for example, the composer. I remember watching a couple of videos of him and he said something like, I, I, I don't know how to do other things. I'm, I'm just good at this. This is the one thing I'm good at. I, like, don't ask me to do anything else. And, and when we talk about Andrew Neiman and um, his professor, 
um, his road to greatness is not in a healthy way. It's not in a ment- mentally stable way. It's it's very like just just burning. It's it's like just super like iron sharpens iron. But like sometimes that's how people get extraordinarily great at things, which is sad to say, but it's really true. Yeah, like he um, like Neiman has this huge trial by fire, but it comes at the hands of this of uh, this professor uh, uh, Fletcher. J.K. Simmons' character, who is misogynistic, he's homophobic, he's, and you know, he may not be those things actually, but he uses all those um, slurs and epithets to belittle and degrade his students instead of encouraging and motivating and uplifting them. And I get it, like some some people do really improve and grow with that kind of treatment. Um, but many people don't. That's very harmful behavior, and it's it's entertaining to watch. Like the the whole it, was I rushing or was I dragging? That whole scene is so electrifying. But because of the performances and the writing, not just from uh, uh, J.K. Simmons, but also from Miles Teller as Neiman, because he's r- having to like, you know, take this on. Like take it to the face, all this literally he, when he's getting slapped by, by Fletcher, <laughs> it's, it was great acting, um, and I'm not trying to like crap on the movie. I think the movie's fantastic, um, but this is not a movie about music, mm-hmm. and like the music is great. There's, um, I'm sure there's plenty of like YouTube videos out there that study the music of this film and or lack thereof. Like I'm. I would never say I'm a devotee of jazz music. Um, I can appreciate jazz. I know the talent it takes to effectively play jazz. And when I go to a bar and the jazz band is playing, like, you know, I acknowledge that those are talented musicians with decades of practice in rehearsal behind them that are up there on that stage playing. And so I know it's it's it, it's not a skill set that everyone can have. So to your point of being able to be good at one thing, I feel like musicians are always chasing that carrot that they can never get in some context because if they're trying to like be the greatest, there's always someone that came before them, right? There's always that hero, that idol, that, that person that they put on a pedestal that was the end-all, be-all. If you reach this person's greatness, then you have made it. So, but same people... But, you know, some musicians will seemingly always chase that. And what I feel that's harmful, maybe not harmful, but what I feel kind of, it misses the point of what music is supposed to do. Music is supposed to be fun. Music is supposed to connect and uh, energize or make you feel things that maybe you cannot always put into words. And, And that's what's kind of lacking in Whiplash. Um, but, but to be fair, as I said, Whiplash isn't about music. Um, it Music is like the backdrop. Music is the prop. Music is like the setting. And it's really about these two characters and them learning from each other and growing. And as volatile as that relationship is, it's so exciting to watch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, I think... You know, like like you were saying, it's 
the the way that this coach teaches his players, you know, is it's just like almost classic like military way of this classic idea of how the military would train their recruits or whatever. Um, it's this super like hard on you, like it, it does not care about your feelings. It seems very traditional, seems somewhat old school, but um, I think it it just blows my mind to think of of this movie be- because you see uh, Andrew Neiman, Miles Teller, right? He him looking up to the the greats in jazz. And mm-hmm. that's why he's going to this conservatory. That's why he's trying so hard. But over time, you see that because of the way he's being treated, it becomes this very toxic relationship where all he wants to do is please uh, Dr. Fletcher. Yeah, I, uh, I was thinking about that. As you said it, like, you know, what Miles Teller's character, what Neiman, what his big motivation that it's like hinted at but never really fully um um blossomed is just he's got severe mommy issues because his mother left him his dad who's played by paul riser dad's super supportive super on the side great dad um and the rest of his family i remember that it's like that scene at thanksgiving or or uh, some holiday dinner they were all sitting down together and like the cousin or brother or somebody is Oh, I fo- big football player, blah blah blah, and it's like his like Miles Teller or Neiman's career path is seen as kind of like a waste of time. Like mm-hmm. there's no value in it. Like there's a dime a dozen musicians musicians just like you. Like go get a real job or something. And to a degree, I see the the reality in that, and I see like um, I can see many musicians. Uh, students of, of music having to go home on their holiday breaks and facing friends and family who were just like, what are you doing this for? What do you hope to do? And what those people never really understand is that there's, there's a, a passion there. There's what uh, Neiman evokes throughout the film is his hunger for greatness. And could it be mommy issues? Maybe. That's kind of a, a cop-out. I think it's just he just wants – He's just been gripped by this hunger um, of playing drums professionally and being amazing at it because that's what hooks him. And that's, that is that is his football. That is his insert whatever sport you'd like to. And um, he's got one hell of an abusive coach <laughs> that pushes him through the gates of fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it is very entertaining. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I – really think Whiplash is one of the best movies that has come out in, you know, a very long time. Um, it didn't win all the Oscars or anything, but, you know, and I'm not saying the Oscars are like the metric to value the best movies from, obviously, that's definitely not the case. But um, as far as like, you know, being memorable, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to go back to it and quoting it and studying it, Whiplash hits all those benchmarks for me. Absolutely, because, yeah. Be, and a lot of it is due to the to the performance from the two leads, and I want to use that as kind of like a uh, stepping stone. You know, your passion um, is, is. Would you say your passion is drumming too, or is your passion in in literature? Where where, where do you, where is your passion at? 
So honestly, I I don't know. And I I have so there's so many things that I love to do, but they all live in this world of creativity and creating things, making something. Um, that's where my passion lies. I even I read a book by by Steve Harvey. I think it was called like uh, Act Like a Success, Think Like a Success. And um, I just the one thing I remember from that book is he explains what your gift is, and he's like, your gift is not your passion. Your gift is like not what your job is, not what you want to do in twenty years. Like your gift is what what is the thing you can do that like that requires no effort for you to do. It's so easy for you to do. Whether it's baking, whether it could be you know, helping people out. It could be anything. Um, so I'm ch- still trying to find my passion. I don't know if it's in literature. I know that literature is a good medium for me, but I think that I'm, I'm still working on my mediums and I don't want to conform to one thing. That's fair. Um, I feel like some people never really truly realize their gift or, you know, maybe they're never um, provided the opportunity to, to find their gift um, you know, everyone's circumstances are certainly different. And so you talked about earlier that you had a passion for drumming. Is, um, you know, a passion and a gift are two very different things. Do you still hold a, a passion for drumming? Absolutely, 100%. I, I think I've realized that drumming is 100% a passion for me because I didn't just do it in high school. I did it in my house. I did it whenever I could. I tap on my legs everywhere I go, and and I tra- I've traveled a lot ever since uh, I, I I left my house at 18 years old, and and all the traveling I've done, everywhere that I go, I seem to find a drum set, and everywhere I go, I find a way to play drums, and either whether it's nine o'clock at night and I just finished up work, or, you know, I it's a, I have a little time off on the weekend, I'll always find some time to do it. And that's when I realize it's something that I truly love. It's because of, you know, it follows me everywhere I go. It comes in different, you know, different shapes and different colors, but it always, it's, it's with me everywhere I go. Yeah, your passion doesn't leave your side. Your passion is your shadow. Your passion's always there next to you. And yes, yeah, that's fair. Like you're going to, if your passion is drumming, you're going to find a way to, to scratch that itch, um, no matter what. And so being a drummer and looking at whiplash, let's take away, let's take away the, the, the context of the story, uh, the dynamic between the two main characters. Let's just talk about the music or, or rather the, the dialogue and conversations about music, um, which don't occur that often back to my main point a bit about it not being about music, but they are in there. What are some of the things that you saw in Whiplash that just like spoke to you as a drummer, not so much as a, as a uh, film, film watcher? I think um, the, the cinematography and the music are, you know, there's, there are a lot of movies out there that have music in them or have scenes with, with live shows in them and stuff. And you'll, you can, you can, if you're someone like me who, who knows how to play, you, you're paying attention to that thing and you can see like how this guy is like, he's faking it or that that's not the sound that would come out of that thing. Or, um, it just doesn't look real, but whiplash is one of the realest movies that I've seen the way they shoot a lot of these scenes and the way, like the, the places where he bleeds on his hands are the same places that I, that I used to bleed in my hands. Um, the, you know, the 
the amount of like the, the when he feels tired is something that really stuck out to me because the, you know he could be doing a lot a lot of different stuff but when he's doing this one thing for the longest time he's like hitting the ride cymbal and the snare drum and trying to get it on time and he's doing it forever it looks like a little motion but that is so I could just feel the pain in my wrist watching that. Just, just I'm like, oh my god, this poor guy. Um, and I think I, I read once that like that Miles Teller like actually learned how to play drums. Um, yeah, he's he's a competent drummer as it is as it stands. I think going into production. Um, so, I, you know, all that to say he wasn't faking it. I think he was really playing in the in those scenes. So, yeah, that's so interesting because like. For me, like what kind of made my made myself kind of tick a little bit when I was watching Whiplash were some of the scenes that really, as a musician, um, looking at all the little nuanced details that musicians would know, would would recognize as being, oh, that's what I would do too, as far as like writing on little notes, uh, you know, writing the subdivisions on the notes uh, on the sheet music between beats. Or you know just some of the um, some of the lingo that they drop in the film that's kind of like it sounds like nonsense to a non musician or someone who's never been in, in a in a formal band before mm-hmm. stuff like you know two bars for free or um, just even the timing you know timing the five six seven eight because you know um, or one two three four it you know it it just depends. Um, on I guess like the time signature of that particular piece, it just those little pieces um, really spoke to me and made me feel like they actually did their homework here. And I'm sure there's things in this mo- movie that are completely inaccurate. And like I said, it's the the whole jazz music conservatory is like the dressing for the film and the main story, which is not about that at all. Um, but it felt like it felt like they did enough homework to really um, make it believable, and so it passes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because like besides Drumline, I can't think of another film in the last couple of decades that really, maybe Mr. Holland's Opus too, but that really focuses on education and music. And, and not a single one besides Whiplash with you know higher education in music and music and music where it's the character's sole occupation in life is to play music and study music and breathe and eat and sleep music. Um, but what I would say is this is not a, a movie made for musicians. This is a movie that is made to impress non-musicians with how uh, technically savvy and talented real musicians have to be to be as good as they are. You know, it's in, you know, like playing the drums or playing the trumpet, trombone, whatever. You can't just pick the dang thing up and just be off to the races. You know, it takes years of study, years and years and hours and hours of practice and discipline and commitment. And, like, you have to really have that passion right to really make your chops in the world of music professionally mm-hmm. so i think whiplash is a fun study on how hard it can be though i think in in truth i, I think real 
colleges of music in, in, in the world, maybe not everywhere and maybe not all the time, probably don't set the tone how like how Fletcher sets the tone in his classroom, I imagine. Mm. So anyway. I think uh, it's it's interesting because you it, you can be any kind of musician or you can be in any any passion that you that you live your life for. Um, you have to find out what your uh, definition is of, of greatness. Like I'm putting in air quotes because I what does that mean? That doesn't mean anything like if like <laughs> what it, what is your greatness? Is it being famous for what you do? Is it being known for what you do? Um, I remember I, I watched a documentary on um, Ray Luzier. He he plays uh, he's the drummer for Corn. Corn yes. one of my favorite bands. Love it. Um, and he, you know, he used to be a teacher. Uh, you know, teaching kids how to play drums. And he's like, I have so many friends that are just as good as I am, or sometimes even better, that just haven't made it. But they're still great at what they do. Yeah, I, it's. I think greatness, you know, it's it's funny because there's so many great musicians that will never see the spotlight. Like, like say, you know, uh, Lars Ulrich mm-hmm. or uh, Ray Luzier or Chris Adler or I'm just going to name metal drummers so the cows come home. Um, who's, that guy, who's that guy from Dream Theater? Um, oh, oh uh, Max Portnoy? Uh, Mike Portnoy. Mike Portnoy. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, oh, that's uh, the guy from Barstool Sports, I think. <laughs> Is it? Oh yeah, Matt, I don't know which one. One of them is from Barstool, I think. It. You're no, you're right. It's. Um, I'm gonna find this out now. I think I'm you're con- right. Dream Theater. Dream. <laughs> I think it's Mike. I think, I think it's Mike Portnoy. Um, but also, I, I. Hang on. Oh, it is Mike Portnoy. I'm not crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, that dude can play. Yeah. Um, and then um. Or you know Neil Pert from Rush, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so some people will never get that spotlight. And even like even if you look at um, top drummer lists or musicians lists or whatever, like the more obscure people that had a taste of the limelight will be at the very bottom. It's always the ones that sold the most records, played the most shows, made the most money. They always get like the oh they are the best, and then we value their greatness by by dollars and cents mm-hmm. or or units sold or something and to be fair there is some value to doing that because you know it's if a person's that good and they they have that kind of return on an investment then there is something to be said about their level of talent but also certain market conditions uh circumstances connections you know, undoubtedly would also play a factor. My point being is I'll take my own father as an, as an example. My own father is a brilliant guitar player, criminally underrated. He's been in dozens of bands throughout 40-plus years of playing guitar. Like, he's just super stupidly talented, and he has a passion for it. Like, I... I would never I like I can play guitar, but I would never call myself a guitar player, if that makes sense. Mm. My dad had he he has his living room and he has his guitar room. 
he has had that set up his since I've known him. No matter who he's been married to, who he's lived with, you had everyone has their space, and then he has his guitar stuff. Wow. And it's like, but it's 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 not a it's not fueled by selfishness. It's fueled by this is my passion. This is what I do. And but he, you know, never say never. But like, he is better at playing guitar than name a band that plays the same four to five chord progressions, bar chords only, the occasional four or five note lick. The hardest thing maybe they do is sweep picking. You know, <laughs> he would wipe the floor with all of those cats. Mm. Um, is just, he will never have, probably, I hate to say it, but he probably will never have their level of success because... It just it just was it just isn't always going to be that way. Um, so we're saying success and greatness are two different things. One hundred percent. Okay. And you know, and great greatness is a subjective metric. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. You know, people think, oh god, name someone. Um, you can think anyone's great, and I may have a total different opinion of that of that person, musician, uh, author politician whatever and so you know greatness is in the eye of the beholder obviously but success is very more objectively based and i think neiman's character or neiman rather miles teller's teller's character i don't think he's looking for success he's looking for greatness and it's people that are looking for greatness that are willing to withstand the level of bullshit he has to go through in that school. Like, you know, it's like, you, you could tell it's a work of fiction, because it totally is. Schaefer Conservatory is a fictional school. Yeah. Um, you know? Um, but, like, the minute someone lays hands on you in the, you know, in the context of education that's not, like, a sport... Yeah. In education so in, and, like, in the United States, like, absolutely not. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, there's just no way you're, they're not going to come away without an assault charge. Like, yeah. you don't fucking touch me, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're fucking crazy, man. Um, but it makes a great, great drama, great cinema. Like, it's fun to watch. Like, it's because it's, it's so fictitious. It's so over the top. It's an embellishment and a fabrication of whatever real, reality should be or could be that you can go with it. Because you know it's not true. Um, it's it's as unbelievable as watching Iron Man fly through the sky yeah. and fight really? Thanos. That it is because it's to me because I know it it would never really happen. Um, it, and like it, meaning that it might happen in real life, but again, there will be consequences, which Fletcher is you know absolved of consequences in uh, in Whiplash. Because that's just—he's old school. He's cut from the cloth of the old school, badass, you know, music director uh, cadre, and that's just how how they how they roll, man. Um, if you don't like it, get the fuck out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's entertaining cinema. Um, it's great storytelling, great, great fucking acting. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I'm. That's, that's another craft acting. 
And even Marlon Brando has has even said like acting is kind of like a big waste of time. He, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the greatest actors ever to do it was like he just was so critical of his, of his own skill. Um, but to be a really good actor, like it, dude, you have to like really work at it. Like, and some people are naturally gifted and can just walk on a stage and read a monologue and and drop the audience to, to weeping tears. I uh, I was doing this thing. I, w- I was a uh, I was doing a, a workshop and it was for um, for videography, but they had to have us act out a scene. Not like a actual like a play or a movie. It was just like like a, a commercial at most what you would call it. But it was more it was and the workshop was more about the camera using the camera and everything and lighting and stuff. This is out in uh, God San Jose in California. It was a good workshop too. Um, and I had to say a few lines, and I'm like, oh, I got this. I took drama one in high school. Like, uh, <laughs> this is nothing. And I tried to read it and I got no direction. I just said, Hey, read this and act excited. Mm-hmm. And what did I have to say? I had to say something like, like, Hey, did you hear the big news or, or something like that? Um, it was one line or two lines. And <laughs> I was not good. <laughs> like was, that one line like brought you I, to your knees. <laughs> trying I was to like, say oh, it normally. Oh my God. Like, you know how you look, you could look back at your own performance or own work and be like, you're, everyone's their own worst critic, I feel. But Jesus Christ, I'm like, I'm I'm not going to be an actor. And that's okay. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine not being an actor. That's not my calling. And I'm, I'm going to have to make peace with that because that mm-hmm. was terrible. Um, but, uh, yeah, so acting, it's a, another skill set that, you know, to do well takes years of commitment and, and rehearsal and practice and it, again it's it's the same thing as you can't just you know most people cannot just walk on a stage or walk in front of a, a, a camera on a set and just deliver their lines and be convincing mm-hmm. um it's it's a study of humanity in, mm-hmm. in its own little way um and so is music um, absolutely mm-hmm. music has this really crazy way of connecting people it's it's the universal language and it's so beautiful and and, and i'm just in awe of the, I, I i'm more disappointed that there's so much music i know i will never hear in my lifetime that i know i would love because there's oh, so it makes me so stressed out i never i've never thought that <laughs> i've never thought of that so there's okay I, I was watching uh do you know that youtube channel uh youtube channel of vsauce no it's it's a it's a science channel. There's actually three Vsauce oh, one, oh. two, and three. Yes, yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, um, they did a video. It's about, the guy with the beard, right? He's like a bald yeah, guy yeah. with the beard. Okay, M- Michael is his name. They did a video about will we ever run out of music, and and uh, I mean, there's a whole like you know big narrative in that video, but a, a subset of that video was uh, I think the very initial. A uh, couple minutes of the video, he was listing some facts about libraries of either um, Apple or Last FM, or uh, he had another audio library he mentioned. I forget what it was, but basically what he was saying is, if you, I think it was the Apple catalog, if you want to listen to everything that Apple had, it would take you close to like eighteen hundred years to finish. Wow, 
and I don't have that kind of lifetime on me. So, <laughs> so, but like, but he but he was making that point. This too, and he he brought it back towards the end about how um, how many songs just kind of sound the same and sound familiar, and the nitty gritty of it was like there's so many tones we can hear. So, you know, on so many on uh, a fixed level of notes that we can hear in our own audio spectrum, there is finite, uh, uh, a seemingly uh, infinite, but actually finite number of notes we can hear. And Mm -hmm. um, there's so many versions of melodies that can be made, Mm -hmm. but we end up going to the same sort of, uh, same set of notes over and over again, because that's what our ears will pick up the best. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of songs just happen to sound the same. Not that it was intentional; it just happened to organically happen that way because that's how music works. So that's like in um, in uh, in a Star Is Born at the end uh, when the oh, God damn that movie's depressing. That movie, I oh, so good though. But it was good, but it was fucking sad, man. Yeah, and <laughs> but so at the end, after I mean, spoiler, I don't know if we're allowed to do spoilers on the show. But um, so like after, you know, our, our, our main guy you know, kills himself, his brother talks to him, uh, talks to uh, Lady Gaga. I forgot her name. Al- Alice? No, that's not oh, Alice. Allie, something like you, that. You're asking too much for me right now. But, but, it, but he was talking about something, that finite amount. I don't know if it was like 12. It was something 12, 12 octaves, 12 something. But mm-hmm. everything works in that, in those like left and right lateral limits. And musicians for like hundreds of years have just been working within those limits and it's crazy how much different music we've created we have dying fetus on one spectrum and then we have billy eilish on the other spectrum dying fetus that's a that's a great band (laughs) (laughs) wow my brother just went to like one of their shows in chicago like a, a week and a half ago i uh oh my god i would love to see i've never seen them live um years ago um, I, was, I, used to, I lived in Maryland for a couple of years, and uh, every year um, they would have Maryland Death Fest. Really? And oh, really? And th- circumstances, whatever, whatever you want to call them, I never got the opportunity to go. It was an annual event, and the last two events were canceled because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just so so bummed, but. Um, I remember looking at the bill for those shows and every year it was like deicide and dark tranquility and just, uh, uh, God, what's that one? Carcass. So just so many great death metal bands. And, Oh man, I was like, I, I want to go melt my face for eight hours <laughs> at this place. This is where I need to be. Yeah. And, um, but, but you're, you're totally right though. Like, cause my playlist, I have actually, I've, on my Spotify, I have cultivated so many playlists. Some of them are like really small, obscure, and for certain things. Like, I, like I built a ASMR playlist for studying. Hmm. Um, it's ASMR, and there's also a lo-fi hip-hop beat kind of a because I'm I still in co- college right now, mm-hmm. and so I, I built those. But then I have my three main uh, uh, playlists are. I have one. It's like pop, rap, country, just. Everything that's not rock is in one. It's pretty expansive. It's pretty diverse. Cause, I mean, it has to be at that point, really. Then my other playlist is 
hard rock slash classic rock slash what I would call radio rock, like your Chevelles and your stuff and your but like your Def Leppards and all those kinds of bands. And then I have my metal. Actually, metal slash punk rock, to be fair. And that is actually my biggest playlist. It is <laughs> it is exhaustingly long. Um, and because um, on Spotify has this great uh, feature, the, the, the uh, Discover Weekly. Mm-hmm. Every, are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've learned about so many new bands that way. And, and oh, man, I... Uh, <clears throat> Recently, I uh, not recently. Um, and the last, because of COVID, and because of just how life has shaken has shaken out the last couple of years, I haven't been able, been able to go to a lot of a lot of shows like I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a big sh- concert goer. Oh, me too. Yeah, I was gonna ask you: Have you been to any shows since COVID hit? Um, since COVID hit, no. Okay. Um, me neither. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's been a bummer, but. Um, Actually, wait. No, I have. What did you see? Uh, there's a, Meta- a Metallica cover band called Matt Metallica. <laughs> uh, were, were, were they were they fun? Were they or were they trash? They they did a great job. Like they were nice. all these dudes from Tokyo, and <laughs> what they, I know it was so it was, I was so confused. But and I was expecting like fun. the shittiest cover band ever. But these dudes did such a great job, and they like they you know they took the stage, they 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 got the attention of the crowd, and and I'm pretty sure also the audience there also hasn't seen a show in so long, so everyone was just going crazy. You They're know, they just happy on, to be like, there. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, That's I wasn't funny. expecting a lot, but they did a great job. So it's funny, I um, my, the what the point I was getting to was I went to see Trivium in Baltimore. 2018 and um i didn't know who else was on the bill um light the torch i'm sorry light the light the torch was opening the they used to be called devil you know they've changed their name doesn't matter um their and their lead singer used to be the singer for kill switch engage mm-hmm. so um they're opening there's a, a band in the middle that i had never heard of before and so when devil or light the torch rather when they their set finished i want to go get a, i want to go get a beer or something to go bullshit with my, with my buddies um because <clears throat> i knew i had like an hour plus till trivium was even going to be on the stage and turned back around because the music caught my attention and it was this band called avatar oh yes and i had never heard of avatar i didn't mm-hmm. know what they were about i didn't know and they blew me away I mean, everyone that night killed it. Like, I don't, I'm not putting them up against anyone else as better or worse. Everyone owned their sets. Um, but that was the last time I remember being somewhere live mm-hmm. and seeing a band live that, like, for the first time, like, like that, you know, that fresh, I just discovered for myself this band or this artist. And I remember the moment in time I was in place, and it was just at Ram's Head in Baltimore, 2018, just it was such a great feeling and that and that is the power of music yeah and of course Trivium came out and fucking crushed it because it's fucking fucking Trivium (laughs) um Jesus they were so good um what's so funny because like the versatility of of music how it can just vary so broadly Mm -hmm. um you know like I'm a huge Ed Sheeran fan 
Yeah. Like, I, I love Ed Sheeran. That dude fucking kills it. Uh, I saw him in Atlanta a couple years ago. And, man, it was just him. In a, uh, he played in the, the, the Superdome or whatever the, where the Falcons play. Mm. And fully packed. Like, not a seat empty in the house. And he just owned it for, like, an hour and a half doing doing the percussion, doing everything himself. Mm-hmm. And that's totally different from Trivium. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, like, night and day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my favorite band is Metallica. Um, and But, you know, growing up, being uh, having been having played in the uh, high school marching band, I have a just deep appreciation for classical music and, you know, and jazz mu- music to a degree. And I, I say to a degree because I, it would be disingenuous for me to say, oh, I'm a jazz fan because I just don't really listen to a whole lot of it. And mm-hmm. so I don't have a huge ear for it or a, a, enough of a, of a palate to really, like, speak about it. Um, but Whiplash... Yeah, <laughs> let's bring it back. <laughs> See? See, I'm crazy, but I know what I'm doing. I know. Um, uh, Whiplash, it it definitely opened my eyes up to what jazz, to more what jazz can can do. And uh, like, I, I, like my brief exposure before having seen Whiplash um, to jazz music was, was limited to the jazz band from my high school or to the jazz music I've heard in bars. You know, even then, before I saw Whiplash, I knew the level of skill and talent, patience and, and dedication it it took to be in you know on that stage or or in that group. Um, what was always evident when I watched those musicians play live, just like I saw Avatar when I saw them play live, when I saw Ed Sheeran when I saw him live, was their love of music. It was their passion. It was on their faces, and. That is one element I wish Whiplash actually had, because what I felt, tying back to my sports movie an analogy for Whiplash, mm-hmm. was as good as it is, like structurally, as a film, because it, it is, it's it's remarkable filmmaking, um, no denying. It was more about posturing and violence than it was about camaraderie and love of music which is you know the latter of is something that i I, me being a musician and having no musicians and been been around musicians and seen musicians play their stuff live is is evident that's that's in the atmosphere you can taste it it's thick it just hangs there and that's what soaks you in to to what they're doing that that is the atmosphere and whiplash doesn't really doesn't really touch on that because that's not what it's about and I just think it's so interesting that such a great film you know can be about one thing but it kind of sets you up to be to feel like it's about this other thing here mm-hmm. you know what I mean that's a really good point you know I I never thought about it like that and if there was a sliver of any form of having fun with music or camaraderie it's literally at the very last shot of you know, oh yeah, of that that eye contact they make at the show, and you see Fletcher. It just his eyes, and you see the smile in his eyes, and it's so. That is really good point that you bring that up. It's it's really a lot about grit and a lot about like what people are willing to go through and do to achieve what's what's in their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, slowly chiseling away 
Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, like that last shot really, really is a strong selling point because it's, it's, it seems like it's Neiman finally telling himself, "I've made it" or "I've made greatness," because in that moment, he maybe hasn't reached the level of greatness he initially assigned himself to achieve. Because since uh, Fletcher humbled him so so greatly, greatness to him is now being acceptable as a drummer in the eyes of Fletcher, mm-hmm. and he finally attains that at the end of uh, Whiplash. Yeah, and and it's kind of fucked up. That is so fucked up. <laughs> Fletcher Fletcher is a human piece of shit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, he knows his stuff. He knows music. Well, that's arguable. Um, that's yeah, that's debatable. Um, but like, but it's, again, it's not about Fletcher anymore. It's about Neiman, and um, you know, to see him kind of like come full circle. What you know, in his mind, he's built greatness, greatness up to be, is so interesting and so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you you know, it's not the best re- relationship or a healthy relationship that's ever been shown on screen. Mm-hmm. In fact, I kind of don't like it because of how awful Fletcher is, not just to, to Neiman but to all of his students. Um, but like I, I I but I give it a pass and I allow it and I roll with it because it's the strength of the storytelling mm-hmm. and the strength of the film, right? As, as a film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was happy to go along for the ride. It was a, it was a fun ride, but like when it was done, I'm like, I'm I'm gonna get off now. That was just too much. Yeah. You know, so I I, I think the title Whiplash is a double entendre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously the title, the titular piece of music they play, mm-hmm. but also like, homeboy gets his fucking shit rocked. Yep. <laughs> by Fletcher, so. And he gets in a car crash. Gets in a car crash too. Yeah. Yes. So a triple entendre, yeah. if you will. <laughs> um, yeah, and like, I don't know, like, I think that dedication and commitment and passion is healthy um, in in the context of of you know when to turn it off and, and, and uh, compartmentalize it because, you know, I feel like that was kind of harmful for him, especially he was, he was starting to date that girl. And he blew her off, and he was wasn't interested. And I see it both ways. Like I see it like, like, you know what, man? Chase girls later. Chase your dreams now. And I get that. Like that's you know you want to be more focused on your studies. Okay, sure, man. That's it's your life. Do what you want to do. But also, looking back the other way, it's like, hey, if that is what you want to do. There's sub bullets on the on the other perspective. A, if that is what you want to do, there's gentler ways to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, B, um, you know, you don't have to be such a jerk about it, or you could be more honest. Well, you guys, he was pretty honest, but you could, you know, soften the blow. Just a soften the blow. Maybe, maybe like, you know what? Today, I'm gonna take a day off. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna like just take her out on a date. Buy her something nice, send her some flowers, pay her a compliment, you know, call my dad up, just say, hey, dad, how are you doing? You know, 
give your body a break, give your mind a break. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, the world yeah. isn't going to stop rolling around if you don't become the next best drummer on the block. It's it's all good, man. It's, you know, slow, steady commitments will get you there. Yeah. So, I, so I see it both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 I think it's maddening when you think about those two things. Like w- when thinking about, because there is no right thing. There is no one answer. You really have to find your own when you go through your life. You have to understand when when you're willing to put all that time and all that effort and, and find, you know, I, I've had times where where I I put everything I had into my work. I put my own self-worth in my work. And the problem with that is that it's so finite. It's so, you're just leaning back and forth. You're like, oh, I'm doing a great job. Everyone loves what I'm doing. Okay, now I'm feeling great. And then, oh, um, I'm not doing so hot anymore. So what am I going to do? Like, not like myself? Like, no. So I think it's, it's finding your own balance with that. You have to understand how, you know, people say, um, there's like this quote that's like, what, like do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I think that's bullshit. I think that's like the biggest lie, one of the biggest lies ever told. I don't think that's true. I think whatever you work on, whatever you love, you still are working. Um, and you're still putting forth effort into it. But I think you also have to have a balance where you have to understand yourself. Like I, I have to love myself enough to put love and work into what I do. And that's the same thing for, for anything I do, even in literature, for example. And it came to a point where, for example, when I wrote my book, I, um, I used to care what people thought. And I, I used to say that I did it, but I genuinely did. But over time, I realized that... Um, that, that there's there's no reason for me to waste my time on that. And that's a double-edged sword because if I can't care what people think about me, if it's in a negative way, I also can't care what they think about me in a positive way. So if someone gives me a, you know, a pat on the back, hey, great job on your book, I really like your poems, I'm going to say, you know, thank you, I appreciate it. I genuinely do. But I don't care because I I believed in it and I I wanted to make something out of it and regardless of how it was received – that didn't matter to me as much as the product itself, if that makes any sense. It does. I hear what you're saying. I, to that point, I would say, you know, it's it's important that you put your your work first. You know, the old saying my mom always used to tell me was pay yourself first. And that was uh, in the context of, you know, your bills, make sure you pay your rent first. So pay yourself first. So you have, so you have a, a roof over your head. But also, like, Pay your pay your love first. Honor, love yourself first. Love what you're doing first. It's like, you know, you think about who you are. You are your own foundation. If your foundation is shaky, crumbling, dysfunctional, it's hard to build up around that. And that and that, what you build around yourself, around your foundation, is your friends, your family, your education, your career path, your goals, your hopes, your dreams, your hobbies, all those things that. We don't realize we have a whole lot of until we are trying to sit back and take stock of what's important in our lives, and it's all those things. And to your point about, you know, the double-edged sword, um, I'm going to respectfully disagree with that, and this is why I say that. You know, there's an old song called uh, by Boz Lerman mm-hmm. called "Sunscreen." Have you ever heard the song? I've never heard the song. <laughs> it's the song. It's 
So Baz Luhrmann is a filmmaker, but he actually wrote it. On my playlist real quick. I'm going to like it and I'll listen to it after this. (laughs) So it's a song where it's, it's, um, um, he's just basically going on. He's like, it's a spoken word and he's basically what it is. It's like doling out life advice. And it's one of the verses, if you will, or one of the stanzas in that song. He says, um, Remember the compliments you receive. Forget the insults. And I get it. That's easy to say to somebody. It's a lot harder to, when you have to take it on the chin, when someone is giving you crap or, or uh, giving your, your work a negative review or saying that, you know, what you're doing isn't all that great or it's been done better before you, blah, blah, blah. Like, because it does weigh on you. And especially when... It's, it's like your baby, it's your project, whatever it happens to be. Your book, my podcast, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, criticism can be helpful. Criticism, criticism um, you know, sometimes you don't know where you're at. And sometimes, like, healthy, constructive criticism is good. And feedback should be uh, given. However, the, 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 the rub with feedback is that it has to be wanted. You have to ask for it. The unsolicited feedback, the unsolicited criticism that masks itself as constructive is not constructive. Um, you know, when people say, you know, unless someone says to you, hey, or they ask you, do you, want, do you, do you mind if I give you a piece of advice? Or do you mind if I make a comment and you get and you move that boundary away and you allow them to, hey, you know, come into your lane and say their two cents? Um, it's, the people, it's the people that just come out the gate swinging and you're going to hear what they have to say no matter what you feel about it. Don't respect you. Don't respect, they don't respect your gifts or your talents. They're talking to hear themselves talk. And that's the – that is – the insult that you have to forget. Mm-hmm. So you're, I feel you're, I feel, you know, you're allowed to hold and harbor and revel all the good stuff, all that good feedback mm-hmm. and, you know, and be mature and be uh, um, level-headed enough to accept when the, the solicited advice and feedback comes in and says, you know, I, I think this about your project mm-hmm. because you, you've given them permission to do so. Right. And, and, that, and that's important because they're coming from a place of, of, of security where they want to help you. Mm-hmm. They don't want to block you or hinder you or belittle you. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I'm not saying taking criticism is easy. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, uh, I, I, my, um, guess you would call my my passion is my writing um my podcast is like my hobby mm-hmm. i love talking to people um and i really started the podcast because i was trying to overcome a fear of my own and that fear is i have a fear of public speaking mm-hmm. i have a fear of talking i hate my own voice um ironically the last seven years of my career i had to do public speaking mm-hmm. Um, 
and some days were better than others. So, but really what it was, was, you know, growing up with a speech impediment and having to deal with juggling relationships and friendships and professional relationships and professional friendships. Um, it was a big task for me. Mm-hmm. So the podcast was like a vehicle for me to like exercise and purge some of that negative, tr- uh, not trauma, but that negative emotion and stigma I gave myself. Mm-hmm. But my passion is my writing. And because I love, you know, for me, it's easier for me to do than speaking. I can sit down, I can organize my thoughts, I can edit, I can go back, I can rewrite. Whereas when you're, when you're like talking like we are now, and you're live, you're, it's on the fly, mm-hmm. you know, if you stammer or stumble or fuck up a word, then it's out there, right? That's it, yeah. <laughs> um, so writing, it's, it's safer for me, but also I write about what I want to write about. I write about film, I write about, um, I write about uh, people's connection to film. And it's funny, like, um, I pride myself as being a writer, you know, like, like I don't introduce myself. Hi guys, I'm John, the writer. Like I don't do that or anything, but, (laughs) but, uh, and so in college I got, I I've gotten straight A's in every class I've ever taken in college. Like I'm a super good college student, right? (laughs) (laughs) Except for all of my writing classes, I've gotten B's in every last one of them. Really? I cannot crack that code on the on to get to the A. I can't do it. Um, I, I'm not. I'm, and I'm done taking writing classes. But even like the harder classes, like my math class, I took a few psych classes that were real ball busters. I got A's in those. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think myself. Does that make me a, a bad writer? No. I'm not because I wasn't writing for myself. Mm-hmm. And that's halfway a a conceit is like not being up to snuff for that particular professor uh, professor syllabus but um like oh yeah well they just didn't understand my rating no I, d- I just blew off the assignment or i didn't do it like they told me to and therefore i paid the consequence um I- i'll own my shit but um but that's like in its own way like negative criticism and feedback on me because i i view myself as a creator with words and much like you do Mm-hmm. So, I'd say, man, you know, it's okay to get negative criticism. Uh, it's okay to get negative criticism, um, as long as it's within the safe context of your boundaries, mm-hmm. and you've and you've given people permission to come in and and, and give their two cents because you know they're doing it out of a space of not love per se, but it's like care. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that's my, my, uh, again, here I am, you know, giving my two cents on, on your opinion on things, but, uh, Hey, that's, you know, it's my show, whatever. So, (laughs) (laughs) no, I, I, I totally agree. First of all, I think, um, your decision to start a podcast to overcome, uh, this hurdle in your life is, is, I think is, is beautiful because it's, it's really cool to see, um, in my life and in the you know the culture that I was raised in, I I found it hard to find role models that were adults that 
that were still striving for knowledge, still striving to grow. It seemed to me that, you know, as I was growing up, I'm like, okay, I'm going to hit an age and then I'm good. I don't have to learn anymore. I don't have to grow. I'm good. Like I'm, I'm chilling, but it's, it's never going to be like that. And it's so cool to see people like you still doing things like that, still overcoming and still growing. Um, but when it comes to writing, first of all, I, the, I've only read one thing you've written and it was, uh, the article about the uh, that that album I forget what was that called uh, oh the Times of Grace album yes it was yeah yeah and reading and I didn't listen to any of it on before I read it I made sure I read it first and I would go back and I would listen to some of the songs that you talked about and I would go back and read about it and I was like you it was so very it 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 made me like I was like there. I knew exactly what you were talking about it when I heard the song and then I read what you wrote. Um, I think you just did it with a lot of grace and it was really well done. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, but but l- like we were just talking about, I think anything we do, like for example, I, I, I don't know. I'm still working on the way that I think. And obviously I'm, I'm young and I'm still growing and everything. But for example, I had my first negative review on my book, I think about a week ago. And I, I was hurt about it for the first three minutes, and then I was ecstatic. I was so happy because what I told myself was like, wow, this means people give a shit. This means <laughs> someone took time out of their fucking day to go and, like, buy it, read it, and then write some shitty stuff about it. Like, I was like, this, I'm like, I'm doing great right now. So, yeah, man. Um, so that's, that was, that's like something that's so weird that I, that I, think about and i'm like okay it's good fuel you know yeah. it's good it's good motivation um you know i no one likes to hear people talk crap about what you've done um and but you know what fuck them like fuck you gotta em. think of, you gotta think about like okay you know i i love when people criticize people for things that they won't do themselves you know it's it's and if they're being critical, like, you know, oh, man, it's good, but maybe next time I wish it had more of some, a more punch to it or something, that's one thing. But they, they come out and say, oh, this is just a piece of crap, garbage, what do they know, blah, 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 whatever that review said. Um, okay, man, well, think about it. Like, someone is, is going out of their way to write something, to publish something. Like, that's courageous. That's brave. Um, you know, most people don't have the balls till either they're way late in life or never at all to, to express themselves, uh, express themselves so freely. And like, okay, so you take a anonymous negative review from Joe who gives a fuck, <laughs> some chucklehead on, on the internet. Who cares, man? Keep on grinding. Keep on pushing, man. You'll. You have nowhere to go but up, man. Like you're, yeah. you're doing good things. So, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad um, you don't. You didn't sweat it. At least not for too long. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. Three minutes. That was about it. I was like, oh, fuck that, man. <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> I'm like, what? But that's the thing, and it comes with it. It comes with this my my past way of thinking, which was to to please everyone. I wanted to. I wanted everyone to like me. I want everyone to. I didn't want anyone not you know to hate me or anything like that. I want. I want to I want to be the 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 perfect person for each person, whether I'm a friend, 
whether I'm in a relationship, whether I'm your cousin, like I want to be that, like I want to fill that box the way it's supposed to be. But, but what that does, that takes away from who I am. So right. the more and that, that and, I, yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say like trying to please everyone. Well, like I, for one, I can respect the fact that you, uh, you know, want to be that guy that like just, you know, everyone can go to, Oh man, he's the best. Yeah. We all like him. Like no one says an unkind word about you. Everyone thinks highly of you. Everyone praises you. And it, it took longer for me than I it really should have to realize that's a fool's errand. Um, there are people on this planet walking the earth right now who never want to see me again. They don't like me. I wouldn't say they hate me, but you know, we're not on speaking terms. I'm, and that's honestly, I'll say it, man. There's a few people, people out there that I'm li- with, like that with. Either they they don't like me, or I just don't like them. It's you know, also you know, I've been around longer than you have. I met more people. <laughs> you know, it, it's just bound to happen. Yeah. You know, um, and sometimes uh, our own actions get the better of us. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I this might come as a surprise, but I've actually made a few poor decisions in my life uh, i know it's it's shocking it's crazy but but believe it or not man yeah. I, I i've done some 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 bonehead moves in my day mm-hmm. um and i've had cons- to face those consequences and and you know it's stuff i can never go back and reverse i can't take back i can't but i can't wallow in it either right you know the people that i've let go either i let go of them for good reason. I never want to see them again. Or people that have let me go or have walled me off, whatever it is, I wish all those people the best. Because mm-hmm. I know I would probably never see them or speak to them ever again. And it's very sad to say it like that. Yeah. But it grounds it grounds me a little bit to know that I don't have to please everybody. I'm not here for everyone's entertainment. I'm not here for everyone's approval, you know, and I can only make one apology and the rest is just an echo. You know, I can't spend my life. I can't spend my life saying sorry to people. Um, and I, and I won't do that. You know, I, I can't do that. I got too much life to live. Yeah. So, you know, being a father myself or being a father, I should say, you're not a father, are you? Nope. <laughs> not <laughs> no, yet. Not that, not, not, not that you know about, right? No. <laughs> no. Um, being a father is, you know, and being a, a strong, healthy partner and a strong, healthy father is, you know, one of the best things I, th- I feel a person could do, or at least a, ma- a man could do. And, and and becoming the best version of myself every every day. And I know this is kind of heavy stuff talking about whiplash. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I'm getting at is I'm trying. I'm still trying to find my own greatness, and it just takes time. And it's those little life lessons that we learn. You know that you've learned, that I've learned, that I'm sure many people have learned. You can't please everybody. Yeah. You know you can't always be that number one guy. That you know, for me, no pun intended, that Johnny on the spot. <laughs> you know, um, I just you know it's just it's just too much to ask. Yeah. So the but best we can at go ahead. Sorry. I think uh what's what's really great about that is is that when you stop trying to do that, you start really being yourself and then the right people will come to you. So 
for, for people who don't know that are listening to this, I used to be your student. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the way that you decided to teach was something that was very attractive to me. I learned very easily when you taught me and you were like really good with the one-on-ones and maybe you realized I was a visual learner or something like that, but you like used to draw stuff out. But what's crazy is that I've had a student of yours reach out to me to tell me, Oh, Oh, I know him. He told me that, uh, um, he, uh, that, that I reminded him of you. And could you take okay. a guess on it? <laughs> I have a couple names in my head. But it was a, it was oh. a brown student of yours. <laughs> Similar facial structure. <laughs> yeah, I know, who, I know who you mean. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll um, ask you after the, after the show's over to verify, but I think I'm pretty sure I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but it's crazy. It's crazy to think about. There's, it's like that same, and then we'll be like, oh, my God. Like, I'm not really not trying to blow smoke up your ass, but it's like, you know, you, you'll see that your audience and your audience will love the same things about you. And it's just because you are who you are. And I think that's a, that's something that I want to achieve and accomplish hopefully in the next couple of years and just truly be myself everywhere that I am and not have to put up a front. Yeah. It's, it's, it's too much work to try to be someone else. I did, you know, I, I tried to do that. I, you know, I had people that I used to work for. Um, in different settings, different places I've worked at, and I would try to model what they would do, and it wasn't me. And the people that worked for me could see that, and I could see that. I'm like, this isn't working. No one's gonna buy into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when, I, even in my personal relationships with friends and and partners and family, if I was being disingenuous to myself by trying to portray something I'm not. Like I said, I'm not a great actor. <laughs> you know, people would read right through it and they're like, "What are you doing, man? Like, this isn't you." And yeah. And so, years ago, I just I just cut the shit, man. I, I cut the act. I just, you know what? I'm not gonna be, you know, the conventional, you know, whatever billet I'm holding or title I'm holding. There's a conventional look of what that should be. You know, I won't say that what it is, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will never, I will never be that type of person. I never, I just won't because it's not who I am. But if I leaned heavily into being the best version of myself, while still sticking to the principles and the tenets of being the best person of my career or or my hobbies or my studies, then it it'll still work because I'm still holding true to my own values. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll, I'll achieve greatness that way. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Yeah. You know, great, greatness. Like I said, greatness is in the eye of uh, the beholder. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess you know, time will tell. But you know, I'm just doing my best. So yeah, I think everyone's <laughs> trying. Everyone's just trying their best. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um, going back to Whiplash, uh, we covered quite a bit. Uh, I don't. I don't have too much more to say about the film. Um, it was a good film, but maybe not a good jazz film. You know, to put it succinctly, mm-hmm. that's a that's a tough word. Succinctly, English is funny. <laughs> succinctly, I don't know. How about this? To put it briefly, <laughs> that works for me. Um, but is there anything? Um, 
about Whiplash that you just are dying to kind of get off your chest before we uh, we close it out here? Yeah, I think um, I agree with what you're saying, how it's not a great jazz film. But, but I think the story of Whiplash is almost as universal as music is. And Wait, how do you, what do you mean by that? When we talk about the, the grind, the grit, the people talking shit about you, people saying that you're not good enough, people saying that you can't do this, you won't do this, and that is a universal theme in a lot of things. That, that It doesn't even have to deal with music. You can deal with any career field. You can deal with any passion that you're trying to achieve, any greatness you want to achieve. That is always going to happen. Maybe not the same way, but it's a lot of those things are going to happen. So that's why I think it's almost just as universal as, as music is. Um, that, that story and that the, the struggles that are needed to be over, that need to be overcome came or came um, <laughs> are, are, are always going to be there for people who are there to achieve greatness. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, I, and that's a great analogy. That's good. I like that. Um, definitely a, a heavy film, I feel. <laughs> but um, one of the questions that I usually ask my guests is, is this a film that's A, very rewatchable or not? Or, and, and or, is this a film that you would recommend to others? Hmm. That's a good question. I know. That's why I ask, <laughs> that's why I ask it. Um, let's see. I think it's a movie that I would recommend. Okay. Yeah. I, I personally have watched it more than once, but I think that you can really get the story down if you're watching it one time. Um, but I would definitely recommend it just for for anyone, even if they're not even into music, like we were talking about earlier, how it's, it, it can be, it was also molded to be for a non-musical audience. Um, mm-hmm. I would definitely, yeah, I think I would recommend it. I agree. I, um, I, I, I always recommend with like an asterisk, like a little with like a caveat, like it, cause some people don't respond well to, to being, exposed to the treatment that like Fletcher exposes his students to. Mm-hmm. So I try to be sensitive to who my audience is or who the perceived audience would be for whiplash. Um, Cause some people are just really sensitive and, you know, and it's not sensitive, like, you know, Oh, come on, man, suck it up and watch this movie. It's some people are just, are just easily triggered by, yeah. <laughs> by abuse. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a very, a very abusive film. Um, <clears throat> And but that's a hurdle, and it's a hurdle that can be can be launched over. Um, I think if people have hurdles or not, once they get through whatever whatever barrier, I feel like Whiplash will speak to them because there's some corner of the film that they can latch onto that's about perseverance and resilience and passion and following your dreams and. It's it's entertaining popcorn cinema, mm-hmm. um, but it's not entertaining popcorn cinema with like spaceships and you know superheroes and 
you know, glitzy glamour special effects. It's it's yeah. a very it's a very small film. Yeah, it's very it's it's a very small contained story, mm-hmm. not big in scope. Um, and I think that's easier for us to kind of funnel in and dial in on on the beats of each character mm-hmm. and the journey that uh, Miles Teller's um, Neiman has to go through, and that makes it more digestible because mm-hmm. you don't feel like like stark contrast would be like an Avengers movie, insert whatever Avengers yeah. film you'd like, where your head's whipping around the screen trying to catch up with everything, whereas this one just kind of like, it's very intimate. Those scenes where where J.K. Simmons is like in his face, mm-hmm. telling him to like, like count, 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 and sight read, and sight read, and he's slapping him in the face. It's like, it's, it's super, int- yeah, it's super uncomfortable, and, and like, it's so, yeah. it's raw, it's very human. Yeah, and it's God damn, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's good so good, but it's like for for some people that's like, okay, one time and, and that's enough. Yeah. I wanna see that again. Yeah. <laughs> you can appreciate the uh, the art that is and then, you know, point taken because not that Fletcher is a one trick pony, but um it doesn't take long to, to learn what his character is about. Mm-hmm. You can kind of get a good read on him. He kind of sets him up to like sets Newman up or Neiman up to be you know his buddy and his nice caring teacher and professor like oh man hey just try it again you know just oh just make sure you come in on my time just want to do that. oh oh wait for my cue da 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 yeah. just setting him up and then he just god on the dime turns and it's like a great white shark and he's in his face and he's in his face the rest of the goddamn movie mm-hmm. and. I mean, they they share a few sentimental and intimate moments, like in that jazz club that he plays in. Um, and of course, that final, that final, final, final shot. Um, mm-hmm. But wow, like what a setup! And you know, it, it was spoiled for me. The 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 um, the whole how his character is it was spoiled for me. I, I tried to watch movies without having seen the trailer, the the, the trailers, because mm-hmm. trailers in their own way are spoilery. You okay. know, mm-hmm. um, like even though like you know what it's gonna mostly be about, trailer especially these days, trailers give so much away, mm-hmm. and so I try my best to like step aside and 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 like dodge all the trailers that come out. Um, and anyway, um, so my point being that Whiplash's you know, his. Like J.K. Simmons's volatileness of his character was just everywhere in the promotional material, so I was actually kind of taken for a ride. Anyway, I was like, I thought he was supposed to be an asshole. What happened? Oh. And then, and then he turned out to be an asshole anyway. Mm-hmm. And but I can only imagine for people who went into Whiplash like completely cold, mm-hmm. having no knowledge of what it's about, and seeing him flip out and losing their shit. Like what the fuck is going on in this movie? (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and that's a pretty cool experience, but Mm -hmm. you know, I, I digress. (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right. So you would recommend whiplash. Yes. Um, I would recommend it with a caveat, but (laughs) the point is we both agree that, uh, this is a movie worth, worth seeing at least once. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. All right, man. Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And um, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you want to get out there? Let the world know what you're doing. Um. So, 
I uh, so I published my first book called "Listen to Me" about uh, a little less than a year ago, and uh, slowly, maybe, maybe not working on on a second project coming up soon. But um, I uh, the the book is on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble online. Um, I just found out it's on Target online. But if you just look up my name or look up "Listen to Me," it should be there. Uh, the link is also on my Instagram. My Instagram is just my name. It's Hassan and Atabi. And yeah, that's about it. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a, honestly a great time. This was all like I thought I was, you know, this podcast and I was going to get all stuttery and stuff. This was so painless, so easy. Very easy to talk to. Thank you. I, uh, I really appreciate it. And likewise, um, yeah, it was very easy, very easygoing. I, uh, yeah, would totally do this again. Yeah, 100%. We should totally do this again, is what I'm saying. So. Okay. I mean, I'm done. I have time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but, yes, again, just thanks a lot. Uh, everyone, go check out his book. All right, man. Well, it was, it's been a pleasure. It's been great. I totally enjoyed speaking with you. Um, you know, totally do this again. Such a blast. Um, everyone, check out his book. Go give it a read. Go, give it, go leave a nice review for him, you know. <laughs> Poor boy needs it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, until next time, take care, guys. Mm-hmm.